Well, good morning, church. Good to have everybody with us here today. And uh, we have Stone Canyon, uh, our Stone Canyon family with us as well. We're one church with two locations. And so here at North Garnett, would you welcome them into our time together as well as everybody online with us? Good to have you with us. Um, We are starting a new series today called Uncommon, looking at the life that we are called to as followers of Jesus. We are called to be different in this in this world. And there are things that happen. We see things that happen in this world around us that sometimes we just leave us kind of saying, you know what, you just don't see that very often, you know. And, and sometimes we, when we live out that Christian faith, when we live out the life that God's called us to, that's sometimes that's the response is you just don't see that very often. The love, the compassion towards others. I, I don't know if you saw this video uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was a couple of baseball teams playing each other, and uh, they were playing in the, uh, I believe it was the semifinals. They're fixing to go, the winner of this game would go to the state championship playoff. And it just happened to be that at this last play, potentially last play of the game, uh, the pitcher and the batter were really good friends. They've been friends for a long time. Ty was the pitcher and Jack was the, the batter. And, uh, and, and they knew that if, if Ty could, if he could strike out Jack, his, his friend, his buddy, then Ty's team would win and they would go on into the state championship. And so I, I want you to just watch this. Maybe you've seen him. I want you to watch this and see Ty, the pitcher's reaction. Okay, watch this. All right, check this out. This is an act of sportsmanship at a high school baseball game in Minnesota. After striking out his friend on the opposing team to end the game, the pitcher there went to console his friend, who was on the losing team, rather than celebrate the win with his fellow players. The pitcher said he wanted the batter to know that their friendship was more important than the outcome of the game. That's so sweet. That was good, wasn't it? I love the catcher's reaction because he like goes to give him a hug and the tie runs past him and he's like, brother, come on, you know, anyway, it's funny. But I I love that quote that Ty gave there, our friendship is more important than just the silly outcome of a game. I had to make sure he knew that before we celebrated. And then there's a reason why a story like that makes news (laughs) because you just don't see that very often, Right? That kind of an attitude, that kind of selflessness, uh, that compassion that Ty displayed there. Again, uh, we can read the Bible and there's a number of places where uh, we are told, we are instructed that we're to be different. One place says that we're aliens in this world and we're set apart from this world. We're to be holy in this world, set apart. Paul, the Apostle Paul, over in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, familiar verse there where he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the uh, mold of this world. Don't be like this world. And then he goes on and says, instead be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to be different than this, this world. That's what we're called to. Over and over we're called that. But, interesting enough, you go back in the Bible and go all the way back to the beginning. And though we're called to a different kind of a life, an uncommon life, God's people over and over, seem to wander away and fall in line with the rest of the world. I mean, you can go back to the garden. You can go back to Adam and Eve. They knew the standard that God had called them to, and they didn't live up to it. Instead, they wandered away, and they went the way of the world. 
They miss the mark. They sinned against God. You walk on through the storyline of, of God's Word, and you come to God's people who, who right after the exodus from Egypt, and they've, saw, they've seen God do all kinds of crazy things. And they've, they've seen, you know, they've heard God, uh, you know, they've, they've received the Word from God, how they're to live, and the standards by which they're supposed to live. And after all they've seen, all the, all the plagues and all the being led across the sea and the wandering in the wilderness, the food that was given to them, their shoes didn't wear out for four. 40 years. I mean, crazy stuff. I mean, after all they saw, what happens? Over and over again, they stray away from what God desires of them. And they desire to follow the ways of the nations around them. They, they would worship the idols of the nations around them. Even at one point, they came to a place where they desired to have a king just like the other nations around them. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be like the rest of the world instead of different or uncommon how God called them to be. So God would send prophets to his people to bring his word, to call them back over and over again. And we're going to look at several of those prophets. We're going to look at some of the minor prophets. They're called minor not because they're insignificant, but because they're small. We're going to be in the book of Joel today. If you want to get there, that's where we're going to be at. It's only three chapters, but I believe there's quite a message within those three chapters. So head over to the book of Joel. If you need to use the index, that is fine. It's there, all right? So find the book of Joel. Now, we don't know a lot about Joel, the prophet Joel. Uh, don't know where exactly he's from, don't know his upbringing, don't know anything. We, we know from the very first verse that his dad's name is Pethuel. Pethuel. This sounds weird. Anyway, um, we know that his name, Joel, means Yahweh is God. It's quite a declaration. So if your name is Joel here today, your name, you probably knew this, your name means Yahweh is God. You're making, your name makes that declaration of who he is. Beyond that, that's about all we know about Joel. <laughs> we don't know the time frame, really. There's a lot of debate on when this was written, what era this was in. Many believe this was right after the Babylonian exile, if you know what all that is. And, and, but, but what we do know, no matter what time frame we're talking about, what we do know is it seems to be a time when God's people have once again wandered away from God and the life that He has called them to as His people. And so Joel is sent by God to bring a message to God's people to come back. And so as we walk through these three chapters, we'll actually kind of see three movements uh, throughout this. And so we're just going to kind of walk through these and see what God maybe has to tell us, speak to us today. And he starts by pointing out the discipline of God that has come against God's people. The discipline of God. And before he lights into or describes that discipline, he begins his message, his, his words towards God's people by pretty simply saying, listen up. Open up ears. Look at verse 2 there, Joel chapter 1. He begins by just saying this, hear this, you elders. All right, he goes to the leadership first. He says, hear this, listen, leaders. These are words for you. And then he goes on, give ear all inhabitants of the land. So he moves past just the leaders to all the inhabitants of the land, all of God's people. This is a message for 
everyone, listen up. Have you ever been accused of not being a good listener? I have. <laughs> Every day, uh, pretty much. Probably a few elbows out there. Um, we've probably all had times where we've been better listeners than other times, right? I found this video this week. It's the first time I've seen it. I know it's a pretty popular video, but I think it's pretty cute. Of a little boy trying to get his mom to listen. Watch this. Like I do this all the time, and if I go out at the at the house with the door, Matthew has his toys, and then Matthew has all his toys. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, they can't touch everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. No, no, but listen to me. Look at if we do something, if you get that out, that birthday off, you're gonna break it. Okay, but I'm asking. I'm letting you know but that you cannot. You know, no, I'm. Look at, look at, look at. You're not listening to me. <laughs> okay. My wife and girls have used that phrase, listen, Linda, for like several years, I think. I never knew this video even existed until this week I saw it. I was like, oh, that's where it came from. Well, anyway, listen, Linda. Listen, leaders is really what Joel's saying. Listen, people, followers of God, listen to what God's trying to say to you. He goes beyond just telling them to listen up, saying, think about this. Keep on going to verse 2 there. After he tells them to listen, he says, Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Has such a thing happened? And he's pointing to the circumstances that they find themselves in as God's people. And the circumstance is this. A plague of locusts have come in and wiped out their nation. And he says, you need to think about this because this is something we have never seen before. Oh, we've seen plagues before, but we've never seen one like this. And he describes it. Look at verse 4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. He's saying... There's nothing left. I mean, we've had swarm of locusts come in, these little three-inch grasshopper-looking things with a four-inch wingspan. I mean, we, he's saying, we've, we've seen them, we've had them, but nothing like this. Think about this. And he would go on, he'd say it went beyond just locusts. It, there was drought at the same time and fire at the same time that came through and wiped out anything else that was left. He says, think about this. This is the hand of God. Now, most believe whenever he's describing these four, seems like four different kinds of locusts that have come in, believe it's kind of the, the stages of locusts as they would come in. As they come in with the, as adults, they come in swarms, and, and then they, and they're eating all kinds of stuff. And, but when they first come in, they come in to lay eggs. 
And then they continue to grow through different stages. In 1915, National Geographic did a story on a swarm that came into Jerusalem and Palestine and Syria in that area. Again, it's somewhat common over there. And they did the story and they described it like this. At the end of February, great clouds of locusts began flying into the land from the northeasterly direction so that attention was drawn to them by the sudden darkening of the, of the bright sunshine. They're blocking out the sun is what's happening. I mean, that many of them. They came in enormous numbers. Settling on the fields and hillsides, there they laid their eggs in vast numbers. Now, here, here's, listen to this. It was calculated that some 60,000 could come from the eggs planted in 39 square inches of soil. About a one-yard area, 60,000 of them would come out of one. And they've been known to cover miles of area, okay? Think about how many that is. Once hatched, they, the new broods start crawling across the ground at a rate of 400 to 600 feet per day, devouring every scrap of vegetation in their path. That's crazy. I mean, they're good fish bait. I mean, I'll give you that. But not that many of them. I mean, that's just great. Here's a picture back in 2013, uh, whenever they hit Egypt, the little boy, and you can see the swarm of them all around him, and that's how they come in. But the swarm that Joel is referencing in our text today is a swarm that has never been seen before and probably since because God sent it in as an army to bring discipline upon his people. And Joel is pointing this out to them. He says, listen to me. Think about this. Think about what's happening in our nation. The hand of God is coming against us. He's disciplining us. Question for us today. Does God still discipline his people today? I don't have to speak from opinion. I can just speak from Scripture. That's what's best anyway, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The writer there says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We do receive the discipline of God in our life, and that can look like a lot of different things. Sometimes it is directly because of sin in our life, and we face the discipline of God to bring us back to Him. Sometimes it's just circumstances in life that God is using to grow our faith and take us deeper in our walk with Him and our dependence upon Him and to bring us near to Him. But God's discipline is still upon us today because He is a loving Father. As we sang even this morning, our good, good Father still disciplines us because He knows and wants what's best for us. Many of you are parents in this place and, and you have rendered discipline upon your children, right? And when we've done that, when we do that, it's not because we enjoy it and, and you know, we like to bring pain to our children. We use that phrase, this is going to hurt you or hurt me much more. It's going to hurt you. That said that wrong, didn't I? It's going to hurt me a lot more. It hurts you. And we mean it. As a child, you look at it it's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but it's true. I don't like to do it. But we want what's best for our children. We want them to know right from wrong. We want them to be able to make right and good decisions. So we discipline them. 
And to veer off a little bit, I, I can think, I believe that much of what we see happening in our nation today, with tragedies surrounding our kids, and some of the things that we see some kids doing to one another, uh, whether it be the shootings or, or go down the list of headlines that we see our kids doing, I believe much of that can be explained by a lack of discipline. I'm sure there's exceptions. But when we live in a culture, and I just read this this week even in a story, a parent talking about their five-year-old son says, I just want him to make his own decisions. Five-year-old? Really? Children need and want boundaries and rules, and we as followers of Jesus need boundaries and rules. We need discipline. We need to know we have a God who cares enough to step into our life and get our attention and say, hey, hey, come back because there's a lot better life over here if you'll stay and track with me and live the life I've called you to. I know it's uncommon. I know it's different, but it's better. And Joel's looking at the people here, and he's saying, think about it. Think about it. This is the discipline of God. Let me ask you this. Is God trying to get your attention today? Has God been trying to get your attention? Maybe He is. He moves past pointing out the discipline of God to begin talking about the call of God, the, the specific call that God's bringing upon His people. And look at, uh, again, go back over to Joel chapter 1, uh, verse, starting verse 13, and the first thing that He calls them to is simply this, repent. <laughs> Sound familiar? John the Baptist, Jesus, when they started their ministry and their ministry, those were their words. Repent! The kingdom of heaven is near. And that seems to be the same message that Joel's bringing from God to God's people here. Look at verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Going back to the leadership, starting there. Put on sackcloth and, and lament. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants. Now he's moving past leaders. Now he's saying, everybody else, all the inhabitants, bring them all together because this is about everyone. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Come in repentance to Him. The leaders, it talks about there that they were not able to bring grain offering and drink offering to the house of God. Why? Because there was no grain and there was no wine to bring. The locust had annihilated everything. And he says, weep and wail. Be in sackcloth. Lament. Repent. Because you have nothing to bring. God has removed it all. And so there's this call to repentance. Not, and it's not, again, it's not just a national issue. It's really easy to go, oh, this nation, I can't believe all the people here. No, it's a very personal issue. Call all the inhabitants. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, crazy name. He's a Russian, was a Russian, died a few years ago. But in his time, uh, he was one who was willing to stand up against uh, Russia, against Stalin and that regime and the brutality that were coming against, uh, they were enacting upon their own people. 
And uh, when he took that stand, they put him on trial and they threw him in the prison that he was standing up against. It was in that prison that he actually came to know Christ and he would actually give praise to God for that prison, the gulag. But later he would make this statement. He said, the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. It's not just a national problem. It's, just, it's not just the nation of Russia. And we can look at America today and go, oh, this nation, I can't believe where it's going. He's saying, no, this is a very personal issue that every one of us deal with because the battle line between good and evil runs through every one of our hearts. We struggle with it, don't we? We all have sin in our life. None of us are immune to it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you receive Christ, were baptized into Him, you didn't come out of the water and go, no more sin! I don't sin anymore! This is awesome! Uh, it's a battle, isn't it? It's what Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked about over in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, who was a leader of the church and wrote a great majority of the New Testament in Romans chapter 7, says... I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. I'm a sinful man. And if Paul says that, I believe probably every one of us can echo those same words. We have a battle with sin. And God calls us to live a life in repentance, coming to Him, knowing that His grace and the blood of Christ covers it all. But we've got to come back to him. We all have a sin issue. And Joel here is looking at the people and he says, we've got a sin issue and every one of us have it. We need to repent. Second thing that he calls them to is to sound the alarm. He says, sound the alarm. Look at verse 1 of Joel chapter 2. He says, As blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. It gives us a picture of the, the, the city of Jerusalem that would have the great wall around it. And on top of that wall, there would be positioned soldiers uh, watching out over the the land, and when they would see something coming, whether it be an enemy or something that didn't look right, looked like a potential threat to their nation, they would grab the horns, the shofar horn, and they would begin to sound the alarm for the city, all the inhabitants of the city, to get ready because a battle might be coming. And he says here, sound the alarm because there is something great and scary and mighty that is coming. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming and is near. What is the day of the Lord that is coming that they should be sounding the alarm for? He goes on to describe what this looks like. It's not a day, but more of an event. And he begins to describe an army that is about to come against them. Further judgment of God. And he describes the warriors. He describes their horses and their chariots. And he describes the utter annihilation that they are going to bring against God's people directed by the hand of God. It's God's judgment. He says if we don't repent, if we don't come back to Him, this is the judgment that we have in front of us. Now, some would speculate that this was uh, a prophecy that was later fulfilled in maybe A.D. Uh, 70, whenever the temple was destroyed by Rome. 
quite possibly. Uh, others say it was a it was a it never actually did happen, as he'll describe here in a minute. The grace of God. Some say it's still going to happen. They want to throw prophecy in this. I don't. I'm not going to get into prophecy on that today. But what I do want to say is. What he's saying is, sound the alarm because there is further judgment coming if we don't repent. And that promise is still today. For those who don't repent of their sin and turn to Christ, there is a judgment to come. There is an eternal separation between man and God, and we call that a separation, a place, and it's hell that no one wants to go to. And so he calls them to repent. He says, sound the alarm because the worst day is at hand. And then the last thing he says is, we need to come back. The call to come back. Look at verse 12 there in Joel chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. What? What's he talking about? Rend your hearts and not your garments. Maybe you've read in the Scripture and you've read at times stories where somebody in complete anguish rips their clothes in anguish and sorrow. And here Joel says, God doesn't care about your outside. He doesn't care about your clothes. What he wants is your heart. He wants your heart to come back to Him. Return to Me with all your heart, He says. He goes on, and listen to the attributes of God that He gives here. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Listen, listen, listen. God wants your heart. And Joel's telling the people there, maybe, maybe, God will relent, and this day of the Lord will be turned. He will not send the army, and we will not face further judgment because our God, remember, He is gracious and merciful, and He's slow to anger, and He's abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. He would much rather not bring disaster and judgment and further discipline against us if we will just, just come back to Him. Is God calling you to come back? I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're one who's once walked in faith with Christ and now you've wandered away and now you found yourself in here today for some reason. We're glad you're here and maybe God's calling you to come back. Maybe you've been kind of playing the church game and you show up on Sundays, but you know in your heart that you're not walking with God right now in your faith and God's saying, come back. Come back. Joel, he outlines, points out the discipline of God. Then he brings the call of God. And the last thing we see him do is he, he highlights, points out to them, reminds them of the blessing of God. Actually, he, even, he does give some prophecy in here of what they can expect because of the blessing of God. Because God was calling them to a better way. He says, what we faced, the discipline we face in these locusts, oh, this is not good. And what we potentially are going to face if we don't turn to Him, that is even worse. If we couldn't stand up to a little three-inch insect, how are we going to stand up to warriors coming against us? No, God's calling them to this better way, a blessed 
way. God wants to restore them. Now, it's interesting in the text here, it never says, Joel never does point out here, that the people actually repented, that they actually did come back to God. We're left to, as most people do, scholars do, we're left to assume they did because of where Joel takes it next. Look at verse 18 there in Joel chapter 2 as he describes the restoration that's to come. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. He says, I want to restore it all. The grain, the wine, the oil. Later, he's going to say the water. Uh, I'm providing all that you need. I'm bringing your provision. I'm bringing abundance to you. I'm going to meet all your needs. There will be immediate restoration. But Joel doesn't stop there. As the people come back, seemingly come back to God, God then opens up the floodgates of grace and, 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 and allows them to be restored. And, but then, Joel continues to bring prophecy of things that they can expect as they follow God and they stay on track with the life that He's called them to. First thing is He gives them a prophecy about the Messiah. If you look at verse 23 there in Joel chapter 2, it says this, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication and has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. And you think, well, that's just all about rain. Interesting thing, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, there's a play on words in here when it talks about the abundant rain. The same word that is used there is the word that is used for great teacher. And so early Jewish writers and Christian writers both agree that what he's talking about is one day it's going to be a lot more than just rain and water that come as blessing, but there's going to be a great teacher to come, and they believe it's pointing to Jesus. That Joel, hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped on this earth, was saying, He's coming. There's one who's to come. And he will, be, he will bring refreshing rain to this parched land. He goes on and he begins to prophesy about a coming Holy Spirit. Look at verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Does that sound familiar? Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Matter of fact, Peter, right before he preaches the whole sermon, he quotes Joel. He says, hey, don't you remember what the prophet Joel said? And he quotes this whole text. And then he preaches a sermon, and people say, what must we do to be saved? In Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive what Joel talked about, the promised Holy Spirit. And that's what we have today. And Joel is talking about that. Hundreds of years before Pentecost came, and thousands of years before us, who live now within dwelling Holy Spirit. So he tells them, hey, there's a Messiah to come. Hey, the Spirit's going to be poured out on, on all who will believe. And then he says, salvation will be made available to everyone. Look at verse 32 in Joel 2. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. This would have been big news. 
Because it's now going beyond the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. He says, there's got to be a day when it doesn't matter what kind of blood's through your veins. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. When did that happen? We'll keep reading in the book of Acts. Because the gospel went past the Jews and then spread out to the Gentiles and across the world. And that today, anyone who believes, places their faith in Jesus Christ, will be saved. That would have been big, big news. And the last thing that he points out to them about the blessing of God, we find over in chapter 3, verse 16, where he says this, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. I believe Joel is saying God is disciplining you now to come back to Him, to step into this life that He desires for you so that once again God will be your refuge and your stronghold instead of Him coming against you in discipline and judgment. He will be the God you run to for protection and strength. And sometimes I believe we as followers of Jesus, you've been there in the midst of life's circumstances and trials and things that are so confusing and hurtful. It's those times, sometimes we, instead of running to God as our refuge and stronghold, we run from Him because we're mad at Him. Can't believe you'd let this happen. Can't believe you'd come against me or allow this to come against me. God, where are you? You ever said those words? Like David does in Psalms. It's okay to be real with God. It's okay to say those things. But know that God in that time is going to want to come in and be your refuge and your stronghold and bring you back to be with Him. Where you live under His blessing. Is God trying to get your attention? Is he trying to get our attention as a church? Is he trying to get our attention as a nation? Let's keep it on a personal level because I believe that's where we need to be at today. Is God trying to get your attention? God's used some crazy ways to get people's attention in the Bible. You read through the Bible and you look at a burning bush to get Moses' attention. Talking donkey for Balaam. I mean, come on. It would be awesome if, you know, you went home and your dog turned to you and went, hey, God has a message for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be weird. It'd be awesome if it was that plain and clear, you know. But that's not how he speaks to us very often at all anymore. A lot of times it's just a still, small voice. He just, he just keeps talking. And when we open his word, and it's his words that come off the page and they penetrate our heart. And that's why we need a daily, that's why we're challenging all of our people every day. All, every one of us, we need that constant diet of God's Word so He can speak into our lives and talk to us. Is God trying to get your attention? Is God trying to speak to you? Are you facing circumstances in your life that, if you think about it, it might just be the discipline of God? It may be the discipline of God towards sin in your life, or it may be the discipline of God in your life just to bring you closer to Him. 
But if you think about it, are you facing the discipline of God? Maybe God's calling you to repent. Again, every one of us have a sin problem. And repent, man, that's a word. As preachers, we don't like to use that word repent because, believe me, it's just not a sexy word in church anymore, all right? Because that means every one of us have sin, okay? And, man, we don't want, we don't want to offend anybody or hurt anybody. But guess what? Shocker. We all have a sin problem. Again, we already covered that earlier. We all have a sin problem, and maybe you have unrepentant sin. It's one thing to have sin that you recognize, you realize, and you know is there, and you just, you're working on it, and you're, you're in this process of with God, walking with Him, trying to overcome it, and you're repentant. That's, that's one thing. It's when you have, as, as a friend of mine once said, when you have a pet sin, and you just kind of keep that over here to the side, well, you know, it's okay. He's my friend. <laughs> and you don't repent of that one because you kind of like it. And God speaks into our hearts and says, you need to come back. You need to be convicted and you need to hurt over the sin that's in your life and come back to a better way. Interesting note. Again, um, we never, Joel never does show us that the people repented. At the same time, if you go back to the beginning, he never tells us, never points out to us what the sin of the people was. I think, I think it's the only place that happens in the Bible. Usually it says, you are an idolatrous nation. You've, you know, taken on the gods of the other day. Joel doesn't ever say that. He never highlights it here. He never says, this is your sin. And so maybe that's a blank that's left for us to look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, What's my sin? What do I need to turn over to Him? Listen, we're called to an uncommon life. We're called to live a different life, a repentant life, a, a, a life that is tuned in with God and what He desires for us, a life that is led by His Spirit, that Joel prophesied about this coming Spirit that will indwell us and lead us. And when we begin to live that kind of a life, man, we'll look different. When we begin to live that kind of a life, that's when Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, begin, begins to come alive. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, selflessness, uh, self-control. When those things begin to come out, that's when people begin to look in our lives and go, well, you just don't see that very often, do you? Do you live a life that looks just like the rest of the world? Or is your life different? Is your life uncommon? Do people take notice of you? Because you're living the life that God, that Jesus has called us to. That's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a different people. Not different for the sake of being different. I want to be different just like everybody else is different. You've heard that, right? No, we want to be different because we love Jesus and we love like Jesus. Sometimes the stories that come out, they're newsworthy then because people take notice. Let's be different. Father in heaven, God, bring conviction in this moment where conviction needs to be brought. God, bring encouragement in this moment where encouragement needs to be brought. God, bring power 
right now where power needs to be brought. Bring restoration to the heart that needs to be restored. God, speak into each one of our lives right where we are and right where we need it. And God, help us to listen and help us to think and help us to follow you wherever you lead in this uncommon life. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.